Hey, why don't you guys stand on your feet with me as we get ready to read and honor God's word. It is nice and chilly up in here, so you can get some calisthenics and warm you up. Um, My name is John, one of the pastors here. We are in the midst of a series called Silent Killers. Silent Killers. How many of you are ready to dive into the Bible this morning? Anybody excited about this here at Greenhouse? We love Jesus. We are a bunch of people from different backgrounds who have landed on this rabbi, this teacher, this Mashiach. That's a fun word. This Messiah named Jesus. Thank you, sir. And we are excited to go after him together. We're talking silent killers. We've maybe heard this in terms of our bodies or healthcare. This would be talking about things like hypertension or diabetes or cholesterol. But we're talking about something more all-encompassing. In this series, we're talking about the silent killers of the soul, the silent killers of the spirit, this, this uh, holistic approach to life, faith, and spirituality. Last week, we talked about the silent killer of envy. We talked about how a tranquil heart gives what? Life, some of y'all remember, but envy rots the bones. We talked about envy, this unchecked craving for someone else's more, and how if we are not careful, it will begin to eat us alive from the inside out. Is that serious? If you missed it, check it out on our podcast or our YouTube channel. You can search Greenhouse South Florida and find it there. This week, I want to continue to take a, a look beneath the surface, getting to a dangerous, silent killer and what the Bible calls a powerful root enacting destruction all across the globe and attempting it in our lives as well. And so if you've got a Bible, flip to Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, I feel deeply uh, motivated by the Spirit not to talk about college football um, this morning because nobody wants to talk about college football. Gator fans don't want to. Cannes fans don't want to. And FSU definitely does not want to. But let's talk about the Dolphins. Uh, The Dolphins, how about those Dolphins, right? Yeah, first place in the division, undefeated. Uh, Come on, you're like, didn't they only play one game? It doesn't matter. Dolphins fans, no, we'll take the wins whenever and wherever we can get them. We conquered the evil empire. That just feels godly, just feels right, you know, and we'll see what happens with the Bills this morning, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling very good about that, but let's get spiritual here. I don't know why you guys want to talk about football all the time. Goodness gracious, I'm a pastor, care about God. Hebrews 12, verse 14, if you're ready, say, let's do this. Strive for peace with everyone. Whew. There's, there's an easy one. Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, in case that wasn't challenging enough, without which no one will see the Lord. And see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Somebody say, that would be a bummer. You're like, wait a second, how does that, how does that, what? We'll get into that. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. This morning, I want to talk about the silent killer of bitterness and unforgiveness. And a collective gasp goes through the room. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus, help. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to help. He's going to help. Don't get too nervous. He's going to help. You can find your seat online. If you're standing, you can sit too. 
My late father, the rabbi Neil Lash, was a perennial home team sports fan. Any home team sports fans, you're a, you're a Heat fan, you're a Dolphins fan, you're a Marlins fan, you're a Panthers fan, right? All three of us in here. Any home team sports fans, you're like, yes, basically this just means we're suckers for punishment. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Outside of the LeBron James era in the Miami Heat, we have not experienced much glory in sports worlds, but but please, God, have mercy on us. But uh, my dad was a perennial home team sports fan. He loved the Hurricanes until God enlightened him, and I went to UF, and he started cheering for the Gators when we did not play the Hurricanes. And, um, but I remember one curious moment with my dad that, that came to me this week uh, when I moved back from Gainesville, and I moved to South Florida here to help with Greenhouse. Um, my dad got into golf, and so I did not grow up playing golf, but I liked the thought of hanging out with my dad and being outside, and I just like sports in general, so I was like, man, I'll give this a shot, and I was horrible, um, and, and golf is like a, an exercise in torment. It's like masochism. I don't quite understand why I keep doing it, but I do. I can't help myself, and so I would play golf with my dad, and I remember one day, we're riding in the golf cart, uh, and my dad got real serious, and he said, son... And he was going through cancer treatment at the time. And he said, son, I need to talk to you about my funeral. I was like, dad, what, what are you doing? Like, no, come on. And I was like, and I was like dad, we're not going to, no, 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 we're not going to do this. He said, son, I need to, and he, and he was like real. And, and so I was like, dad, we're playing golf and, and, and you're going to be fine. And you're gonna, he said, I, I, son, I need to talk to you about my funeral. And I was like, oh, okay. And so he just really was like in this moment. He's like, son. And he starts going through about his funeral and what he wants to see. And he's like, son, I need this to happen and I need this. And he's going through. And then he's like, and son, I need you to do one more thing. I was like, okay, dad, what do you need? He said, I, I know it's going to be challenging. But I need you to get some Miami Dolphins players at my funeral. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, what? <laughs> what, is he, what is he talking about? And he's like, I need you to get the Dolphins players. He said, and he started cracking a smile. And I was like, oh, my. And he's like, because I just need them to let me down. One last time. <laughs> and I was like, Dad, come on. And he just cried. He thought it was so funny. He's like, I read it on the internet somewhere. <laughs> I was like, Dad, that was the worst timing for a joke. You can't do that when you're going through cancer treatment. Like, it doesn't work like that, you know? And, but he thought it was so funny. He almost made me pee my pants. And he was like, that was awesome. And I think I, I mentioned it in a sermon at one point because I was like, what a ridiculous. But, but my dad and I would always joke. We're like, man, we just, we love the dolphins. We love the heat. We're like, man, they just always break your heart. It's like, oh, goodness gracious, Lord, you see our suffering, please. You know, and there's funny letdowns and, and there's laughable letdowns and there's humorous letdowns. But what about when the letdown is much more serious than football? What about when the letdown is much more painful than sports? What about when the letdown and the wound is so real that it happened two decades ago, but you feel it like it was yesterday? If there's anything we know definitively about the human experience, it's that people can be brutal sometimes. There's hurts that are real, wounds, pain, betrayal those actions, those words that you still haven't forgotten, that you just can't shake, that you still feel in your soul if you give yourself a moment in the quietness of your own heart to this very day. So we've learned a collective coping mechanism. We've learned that if something is painful, you just move past it. And so we brush away the very things that often were the things that 
crushed and crippled us. And, and, and we'll often, especially in spiritual circles, I know I'm in a spiritual environment here, we'll often say things like, well, we'll begin to sense these emotions rising up based out of some sort of a hurt, whether it was intended or unintended, the hurt was real. And so we'll say things like, well, well Pastor John, and maybe as soon as I said, I want to talk about the silent killer of unforgiveness, you felt it. And that person and those words and those things, they came to mind. But we get good at this. Well, no, 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 I, I forgave them already. Well, I already, I, I remember in church two years ago, I prayed that prayer. And, and we, we are so tempted to brush past the hurt and the pain because we forgave. And yet the curious thing is that if we're being honest, when the person comes to mind, we're like, no, I already forgave them. It's like, well, I, maybe you did, but you still seem so bitter. And as I took time preparing for what I'm sure is going to be a deep investigation that I'm praying God and the Holy Spirit takes us on of the soul, I had the sense that a lot of us have genuinely had moments of forgiveness in prayer where we have chopped off branches, but we have left the root. And Hebrews says, beware of the root. We started this sermon with the idea of it being about forgiveness, but what I really want to talk about this morning, because I think when we say forgiveness, we're like, I mean, we know it's the right answer. I, I already forgave. I want to talk this morning about bitterness and the way the enemy of our soul use it to attack, cripple, wound, and if he can, destroy us. See, when we are wounded, when we are hurt, when we experience emotional pain, trauma, there is a silent killer lying in wait. And if we are not careful, and if we leave these wounds unexamined, and if we go through and brush past and say, ah, I, I, don't, I don't have time to deal with this right now. My life is too busy. And we slap a Band-Aid over our hearts and call it a day. These open wounds don't heal. They fester. They get infected. And this morning, I believe Jesus wants to set us free. This morning, I believe Jesus wants to heal. Because he loves us, he wants to rescue us. And because he loves us, he knows we need rescuing. I've got one big idea. It'll get a little lighter, and you can breathe. Here it is. Bitterness is a seed of bondage, but forgiveness brings healing freedom. Bitterness is a seed of bondage, but forgiveness brings healing freedom. I got two stopping points and then we'll roll with this together. I'm hoping and praying this gets super practical and is a tool we can use for a lifetime. Here's my first point. Bitterness is a seed of bondage. Let's start where we can all agree. We all need a little grace sometimes. Can I get an amen? Amen. We all need a little grace sometimes. My, my wife and I have two children. Our oldest, Liam, is five. Our youngest, Lucia, is two. Little Lucy is sweet as sugar, this little girl. She's a little, she's a little words of affirmation queen. She'll, always, she'll walk up to you, I like her shirt, da-da. I like your eyes, da-da. I like your hair, mama. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how could you not love her, you know? She's like the little favorite at school. And, and so Lucy was getting ready to go, and she was all excited. She was going to start this bilingual preschool that her big brother went to. And so she had to go for these shadowing days. And so um, I, I'm not sure if you know this, but I've never been a woman before, um, just in case you were wondering. That's not something in my story. And so uh, I'm not wildly familiar with women's fashion and or clothing and accessories, so I did my best to prepare Lucy for her day at school, adorned in the clothing that I picked myself. And I thought I did awesome. 
I thought I did really great. And she was excited, so I was like, it's a win. And then I got home from work, and my wife was like, hey, um, did you put a dress on Lucy when you sent her to, to school? I was like, I did. Yes, I did. She's like, did you notice that she already had a dress on? No, I didn't. She's like, she wore two dresses to school today. I was like, well, it's better that than naked, babe. I don't know what to tell you. I just went over the top. Some of you were like, I'm praying for him. How could he do that? Just, amen, I'll receive all that prayer. Um, But I was like, babe, give me a little grace. We all need a little grace sometimes. Humans need grace. Your spouse needs grace. Your roommate needs grace. Your boss needs grace, and your coworkers need grace. We need grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need grace. You turn to them and say, I do too. I do too. All right, I don't want to start fights here. We need grace. We, we just do. I mean, right, this is the whole deal about the way of Jesus. We are acknowledging our jack-uppedness, to use King Jameth. We need grace, which is why Hebrews 12 is so sobering. Check this out. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain what? The grace of God. Hold on, hold on a second. Pastor John, oh, Pastor John, we got to have a theological conversation here. Because grace, we, we, grace, it is a free gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It is a gift of God. It's not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. It is a gift from God. Amen, theological individual. So how can someone fail to obtain grace? Well, he tells us. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and defiles many. You're not wrong. Grace is a free gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is for the humble. It is for the willing. Anyone and everyone who acknowledges, God, I am messed up. I don't have what it takes. I can't fix what's wrong with me. God, I need your forgiveness. I need your help. Grace is a gift readily available. But apparently, we can fail to obtain it. How? A root of bitterness. I need us to grasp the severity of what we're talking about this morning. Otherwise, we'll think, yeah, 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 I mean, it's just, yeah, I know, Pastor John, I should forgive, but no, 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 it's not just I should forgive. There is a root of bitterness that stops the flow of God's grace. The writer of Hebrews says it causes trouble, it defiles many. I need us to understand that bitterness has a superpower, and its superpower is, is that it blocks Grace. If you've ever experienced a hurricane, anybody experienced, not the Miami hurricanes who lost, um, the, the, an actual, sorry, just low blow, right? An actual hurricane, if you have a transformer that goes down in your neighborhood, who has power? Nobody, right? Nobody, 90s throwback, don't know where that came from. Nobody has power. Whew. I don't remember the contents of that song, and now that I think about it, it's probably not a good one to reference. Listen, your pastor's got a past, okay? Let's just move past that all. We all need grace. Amen. Amen. Anyways, about the transformer, let's go back to that. Stick to the notes, pastor. When a transformer goes out in your block, everybody loses power. 
It doesn't matter how great your devices are and how incredible your home is. If you have no transformer, you have no power because it's that important. In the same way, the potency of bitterness is that it blocks the grace of God. Grace is so powerful and so amazing that nothing can thwart it except grace, except bitterness. When it takes root in a family, when it takes root in a marriage, when it takes root in a culture, the writer of Hebrews is saying, watch out, you are a sitting duck for the enemy. Now, here is the problem with that. If you are a human being, offenses will come. If you are a human being, anger will happen. If you are a human being, wounds will be inflicted. I'm not a prophet. I've just been a human long enough to know that's true. If you are a human being, every opportunity in this planet will afford itself for a wound to turn in to bitterness. And the exhortation here from Paul or Apollos is that we cannot let bitterness take root. Like Pastor John, how would it take root? Let's do a little gardening lesson together, if we will. There are two key components to bitterness taking root, and I borrowed my wife's watering can, so Nancy, I'm sorry and thank you. All at the same time, I'll return it in one piece. Um, but here's what happens. When it comes to anything taking root, you really just need two elements. You need time, and you need the right environment. It's really quite perplexing. I've got here a seed. I'm not sure, Pastor Robert, what type of seeds are these? They're not marijuana seeds. I know we're the greenhouse, but we don't roll like that. <laughs> pumpkin. These are pumpkin seeds, all right? You can't really see them, but I'd like throw them to you, but that, that wouldn't work. Okay, so we got some seeds here. Um, these seeds, you, can't, you probably can't even see them from the back, can you? These seeds are so tiny, they're so minuscule, it would be entirely tempting to think there's no way this puny little thing could do anything. But you have pumpkin pie, which is God's favorite pie, Lisa. And so you know what these beautiful things can do, right? And so if you take this seed and drop it in some soil and just give it some time, really incredible things can happen. See, I need us to understand the potency of time when it comes to developing roots, if you put this in the right environment and give it a little bit of time, give it a little bit of water, give it a little bit of sun, give it a little bit of fertilizer, all of a sudden roots are going to grow. And the writer of Hebrews says the same is true for bitterness. I, I want us grasping this, that if you, if we, if you, if I only knew that that seed of anger in your child could grow into, once it took root, what it might grow into, you would be jumping in to uproot that seed right away. If you only knew that look of disgust from your spouse when you did that thing they told you to stop doing could take root and turn into what it was going to take root into, you would be repenting so quick and saying, I'm so sorry, babe, I'll never do it again. If we only knew that that interaction with your employee, and you're the boss, you're the supervisor, you should be able to say whatever you want, and they need to be adults and get over it. If you only knew that little seed of bitterness could turn into the forest of destruction in your company or your organization and your org chart, you would be running to uproot it just in that very moment, because to some degree, all this seed takes to take root is time. But there's one more component to seeds taking root. You need the right environment. Here's what happens when we are wounded as human beings. When we're wounded, we typically don't just keep it to ourselves. What do we do? We, we talk about it. We post about it. 
Somebody does something to you and, and you're like, man, I, I just got to get this out. I just got to vent. And so we go ahead and with our words, that was a horrible pour. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not a gardener. With our words, we nurture these seeds. And it does not take much nurturing. It's, it's a little bit, girl, you're not going to believe what she said to me at work today. Oh, don't you tell me about it. Let me tell Man, man, you're not going to believe what my boss did. Man, you tell me about it. And we just nurture and nurture these seeds. And if you give a little bit of water and a little bit of time, guess what's going to happen to the seeds? They're going to take root. They're going to grow. And what we often don't realize is when we continue to speak to other people, not to God, to other people, not to the person, when we continue to speak about that thing that really might have been very bad, but we talk about it, we talk to it about it to everybody else but the person and but God, what we are doing is we are fertilizing a death tree in our souls. And it's only a matter of time before it takes root. Friend, I, I need us understanding, not because I'm mad at you, but because I love you and because I'm a human like you, and it, it, it's the same problem for me that it is for you. If this little seed of bitterness and unforgiveness, if this wound in the seed is not dealt with, it's going to turn into a forest of anger. It's going to turn into a forest of racism. It's going to turn into a forest of hatred. It's going to turn into a forest of pride. It's going to turn into a forest of destructed relationships throughout your family line. And so much of our bitterness, it starts from these small little seeds that often without even realizing it, we nurture and help to grow roots. It's a big deal. This isn't just the writer of Hebrews. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, he says, for if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. How many of you like that? You're like, that's good news. That's, that's amazing. But he continues. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Now, wait, 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 wait a second. We all become theologians miraculously in verses like that. We're like, well, well you know, in the actual language, uh, what Jesus was, Jesus was not saying that he wouldn't forgive us. What Jesus was saying was that if you look at the original Greek, the metanoia of the original Greek tense in the, in the actually, what, let me tell you what it was actually saying by Jesus in the original Greek and Hebrew tenses of the language. He was saying, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your heavenly father will not forgive your sins. What was he saying? That. Like, well, I don't like that. Me neither. But that's what he said. And Jesus always tells the truth because he is the truth. Jesus is essentially saying in Matthew 6 what Hebrews is saying in Hebrews 12. Bitterness blocks grace. And we all need grace. Amen? You can't let bitterness take root. Number one, bitterness is a seed of bondage. Number two, forgiveness brings healing, freedom. Somebody say freedom. Say it like you mean it. Say freedom! Freedom! <laughs> William Wallace. There we go. Today is an interesting day. Number two, forgiveness brings healing, freedom. You're like, all right, all right, Pastor John, amen. You're so weird, but I kind of like you. 
I don't want to be bitter. I get it. I don't want to be bitter. I, I don't want to be unforgiving. I know people like that. I have friends like that. I, it's, it, no one likes being around a person who's just stuck in bitterness and unforgiveness, right? It, it's so toxic and contagious. What does it even mean to forgive? I was having a conversation with a friend. We were texting back and forth, and, and she was asking some fantastic questions. She's like, okay, you know, and we were getting ready for this week. And she's like, okay, so, so, talk, so talk to me. Like, does forgiveness mean that we just say it was fine, it was okay? It was, is forgiveness just, for, for, you know, move on and forget? Is forgiveness, like, that we just let the person back in who hurt us again? Does forgiveness mean that, that we just pretend it's all okay? Does, does forgive, like, she's like, John, I, I, I've heard so many messages about this, and I know we should, but, like, what? I, I wish I could hear, like, what does forgiveness mean practically? Can anyone else relate to that? You're like, what? I, amen, preacher, like, yes. What, what does this mean? So I want to give you a framework for practical forgiveness. Please take notes here. If you got an iPhone, that makes me happy. If you have an Android, I'm still praying for you. But please take notes here because this is a framework that I think will be de deeply helpful for you as a disciple to thrive for the rest of your life so that this little seed doesn't take root and become a tree of destruction in your life. I was taken to the story of Desmond Tutu. How many of you are familiar with Desmond Tutu, Reverend Minister Desmond Tutu? Okay, he, he was a, a pastor, he was a minister in South Africa during the post-apartheid era. When apartheid was established in South Africa, Reverend Desmond Tutu was tasked, uh, he had a, a group, it was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and he was tasked with helping to bring healing and reconciliation to the nation of South Africa, which had incredibly unjust racial rifts, straight up wickedness and sin that they had experienced for generations and generations and generations. They needed some practical forgiveness. They needed some practical forgiveness. And so he had a framework. He wrote a book called No Future Without Forgiveness. And, and this is the framework that I want to work off of because they had to navigate through some heavy, heavy injustices and wounds that were perpetuated. Here's what I'm praying that we would do. And the rest of this is just straight application. I want to make this very tangible so we don't walk out and say, man, I want to do it. I just have no idea how to even start. Here's what I'm praying that we would do. I'm praying that we, that you, that I would take our wounds to the healer and our bitterness to the root. That we would take our wounds to the healer and our bitterness to the root. There's four steps in this framework for practical forgiveness. The first one is this. Tell your story. Tell your story. In the Zulu culture, there's a word called Ubuntu. Everybody say Ubuntu. It's kind of a fun word. I hope I pronounce that relatively right. It essentially is the idea that my humanity is tied to yours. It's communicating what Paul is essentially saying in the epistles, that we are all one body. We are all interconnected. We are all in some ways dependent upon one another. And so if we're not right, then we're not right, then we're not right. It communicates the collectiveness that God has intended for humanity. What Desmond Tutu had to do is that on Sunday evenings, they would have individuals that had been wronged when it comes to racial injustice and prejudice and flat-out governmentally sanctioned discrimination. And they would come, and they would go on national television or national radio, and they would get up in front of the nation and tell their story of hurt and wound. Because what was communicated is that your hurt and your wound, it matters to God, and it matters to us. This is important. I need you to hear me here. When you are offended, when you are hurt, that matters to God and that matters 
to us. And the temptation is, is to just brush past things. The temptation is, is to diminish. The temptation is to downplay. The, the temptation is to just stuff those emotions down and say, man, I, I don't want to. How many of you are like, emotions are kind of a little bit scary. And so you're like, man, I, I stuff them down. It's fine. It's not that big of a deal. And, and I want to encourage you that you need, if you are not going to let this seed of bitterness grow roots, we need to learn to tell your story. And you start with God. Let me tell you what I do. This, this is what John does as a human who's trying to be a disciple of Jesus. When, when something happens, when I have an interaction with someone that hurts me, that wounds me, A, I have to own up to that and say, man, I should be bigger than this. Yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> it hurt me. I know they didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, I know, but, but it still hurt me. It still hurt me. And so what I do first is I bring that hurt to God. I tell my story to God. And so I'll say, man, God, here's what, and, I, and, and God and I, we just get raw. We have conversations. I try to go David style in my prayers. I'm like, man, Lord, there was like a punk and they did this. And I'll just, and sometimes God's like, he, you know, he's listening. He's like, yeah, John, yeah. And sometimes he's like, oh, but it's like when your kids come up to you and they're like, he hit me. And you have like multiple kids and you always know to ask the other one, okay, what happened? They're like, well, he hit me. Ah, you know it first. Sometimes God's like, yeah, no, they did that, son. Man, I'm so sorry. But you did. And I'm like, oh, snap. You're right, God. I take it to God first. I begin by telling the story, acknowledging the hurt, acknowledging the offense, acknowledging the wound, and bringing that to God first. And sometimes it ends right there. I realize, man, actually, they were a punk because I was a punk. I, don't need, I need to go apologize is what I need to do. Sometimes after, you know, I, I bring it to God, and then I'm like, man, Lord, I know they didn't mean it. So much of the time when people hurt us, they, they, it's not what they were trying to do. They didn't mean it that way, and, and we're, we're projecting our own stuff. And so sometimes it's, it just ends with me and God, and God's like, yeah, and I just forgive them, and, and I let it go. But if after 24 hours, this is what I do, if after 24 hours it still bothers me, I need to take it to the next step. If after 24 hours it's still there, I'm like, I'm not going to let this little seed stick around in the pot of my soul to grow roots. I'm going to grab it out of the pot and bring it. I've already brought it to God. Now I'm going to bring it to somebody else. This is Matthew 18. Matthew 18 says if your brother or sister in Jesus, if your fellow human being wrongs you in some way, go talk to who? Them. Let me clarify that. If somebody hurts you, talk to God first, tell him the story, see where that goes. But if it's still bothering you after 24 hours, go talk to them. Not to 13 of the them friends that need to go and, and feel your pain. And now you're just watering that seed. You go talk to them. If they listen... Amazing. By the way, Matthew 18 has very tangible next steps. It says if you go and, and they're just, they just shut it down and they just, they're like, oh, you're crazy. It says you go and you find somebody else who loves both of you and has a heart for you to be unified and reconciled and you bring them next. And you have, it's, it's a deeply tangible way that you can pursue healing in your own heart and reconciliation with people. Matthew 18, a gold mine for how to go through this. But what we don't do is brush past things. What we don't do is just, yeah, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Because it might not be that big of a deal, just like a seed isn't that big of a deal. But if you give it time in the right environment, it's going to become a tree. It'll become a forest. And it'll block grace.
You don't try to move forward. You don't try to just avoid that awkward conversation and sweep it under the rug and say, it's fine, it's fine, it's not that big of a deal. If it's still bothering you, it's a big deal. To God, it's a big deal to you. You gotta fully tell your story. That's step number one. Clear on that? All right, step two, once you've done that, you then move forward and you actually have to name the hurt. You have to name the sin. You have to name the offense. Here's what happens. We could tell the story, but oftentimes if we're telling the story, we're starting with God, then we're going directly to that person. Sometimes I have to go to that person and I'm going, I'm like, man, and then this happened and then that happened and it's all, all over the place and it's all cloudy. And if I'm being honest, I don't even know what hurt me. Anyone been there before? You're like, I'm just, I'm so mad at that person. Well, what'd they do? It's just, just who they are. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who am I? Right? Oftentimes, we never get to a place of forgiveness because we don't even do the work to know what needs to be forgiven. Which is why Desmond Tutu said, you, you, you got to tell the story. Why? So you can actually name the hurt. You got, a fit, you got a laundry list of 15 things like this person, they're so, da, 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 and then you finally process through and you're like, actually, this is what hurt me. And now you can have an actual conversation and find real forgiveness and the seed can be destroyed because you know what the seed is. It might take you telling the whole story to God, then even talking to that other person directly to finally see what the hurt actually is. Get clear about the wound, get clear about the hurt so you can forgive someone for it and so God can bring healing. Otherwise, it's like going to a doctor and saying, doctor, fix me. He's like, what's wrong? That, yes. What's the first question the doctor asks you? Where does it? God says, where does it hurt? You've got to name the hurt. Name the wound. Then once it's clear, you move on to step number three, forgive, forgive. Now let me make this clear because I'm communicating succinctly. I am by no means trying to intonate that this is an easy process. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online, we have been radically wronged, we have been radically abused, and it is going to be a process and a journey of healing. It's gonna take counselors, and it's gonna take pastors, and it's gonna get a team to get us on a process of healing and forgiveness. It's gonna take a lot of work to get to the root and uproot it so God can bring healing. Forgiveness, forgiveness does not mean that it doesn't matter Forgiveness doesn't mean, oh, it really wasn't that big of a deal. I just need to get over it. Oh, forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did was not wrong. What they did could have been very wrong and very hellish and very evil and very wicked. Forgiveness does not mean anything about what they did in terms of saying it's okay or it's right. Forgiveness is saying, you know what? God sees. God is my defender. God is my healer. God is the judge. God will make it right. God will handle the situation. Forgiveness is acknowledging if I hold on to this root and to this bitterness, to this wound and let it grow, I am not injuring that person. I am only injuring me. And God, I can't handle this. I'm not wired to keep this seed in my heart. It will only grow and fester. Forgiveness is both a moment and a long and often painful journey that we embark upon. But it's the only path to the abundant life that Jesus promised us. 
It's the only path to the life and life abundantly that Jesus died for. Lewis Smedes in his book, one of the best and, and most popular books from a Christian perspective on forgiveness, he says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. He says, forgiveness doesn't erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we can't forget creates a new way to remember. You're like, Pastor John, I, I think I've forgiven. I feel like I've forgiven, but I'm not quite sure. How do I know? You begin by asking the Holy Spirit. I'm praying that even right now we would do that this morning, right there, even in your own heart. David said it like this. He said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lord, let me know if there are any seeds of bitterness that are waiting in the recesses of my heart. God, let me know because I'll miss them. And then lead me in the way of the everlasting. I think so often, especially in Christian culture, we, we say, we feel, we, we think that we've forgiven people and, and we sort of had a prayer moment, but we hold the bitterness in our hearts and it is incredibly sneaky, pervasive, and powerful. Here's what I do. Here's what I look for. I call it the gut check. You're like, Pastor John, how do I know if I've forgiven? I, I've, I've prayed a prayer. I remember that thing. It was horrible. I'm glad you're saying it's not just like, oh, it was fine. It was not fine. It was, it was from the enemy. It was wicked. But I've prayed a prayer of forgiveness. How do I know if I still have bitterness in my heart? I do the gut check, which means this. When I think about that person, when I see them somewhere, when they pop into my head or pop into my life, what is my gut level emotional reaction? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it love? Or is it resentment, pain, disgust, and anger? Smeed said, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Henry Cloud said, safe people are forgiving people. We talk a lot about the people who offend us or hurt us as being unsafe, but you could easily say the same to the unforgiving person. It's why Jesus is the safest person. He is the most forgiving. If even right now you're like, if I did the gut check, I'm not fully through this yet. We're, we're rarely fully through it if we've left it unexamined. Like, well, what's, why, why is God trying to shame me? He's not. He's trying to set you free because he loves you. He wants you to thrive and he wants you to flourish and he wants you to have the grace that you need, but unforgiveness blocks it. Number one, you tell your story. Number two, you name the hurt. Number three, you forgive. And finally, number four, you either renew or release the relationship. You either renew or you release the relationship. Now, this depends on how they respond. This is, again, where Matthew 18 is helpful. You go to someone and they don't listen, you bring somebody else. They don't listen, you bring somebody else. And, and then if they're just not at a place where they're willing to go there with you, you realize, okay, there's no repentance here. I, there's no, they're, they're, they're refusing to admit. They're just saying, oh, I'm just going to do that again. And so you, you're not just setting yourself up to be consistently wounded over and over again. You release the bitterness and then you part from the relationship. Smeed says there's take, it takes one person to forgive. It takes two people to be reunited. This is the difference between forgiveness and trust. 
Forgiveness is something that if you follow Jesus, you have no, you don't really have latitude here. Jesus said, if you, wanna, if you want me to forgive you, you're like, I would like that. Okay, you gotta forgive people. Trust, on the other hand, where forgiveness is mandated for disciples of Jesus, trust is something that is earned. Trust is something that is lost. Trust is something that we should have a heart to see rebuilt over time and consistent, proven actions. Forgiveness is required because of what God did for us, but trust is earned. And bitterness is a seed of bondage, but forgiveness brings healing freedom. Bitterness is a seed of bondage. But forgiveness brings healing freedom. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up. We're gonna close a time in prayer and singing together. But I spent some time this week researching bitterness. I was on this word study journey. I'm like, man, this seems like such a huge deal. If bitterness blocks the grace of God, where have we seen bitterness manifested in the scriptures? And I started off in the book of Ruth. There's this woman named Naomi and and she has some really horrible, tragic circumstances. She loses son-in-law after son-in-law after son-in-law. She loses loved ones. And, and so she finally gets to a place where she says, listen, my name has been Naomi, which, which means pleasant, but I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore. I want you to call me Mara, which means bitter. She says, because God has dealt bitterly with me. Maybe you relate to that this morning. I was taken back to Exodus where this name Mara gets its genesis, gets its origination. And, and, and the people of God, they're in exile and they, they fled Egypt and the captivity and the slavery that was there in Egypt. And they're on their way to the promised land, but because of their own rebellion and foolishness and pride, how many of y'all can relate to that? They're on this journey that should have been 40 days and instead it's 40 years and they get to this place called Mara, which means bitter, and, and, and they're running out of food, and they're running out of water, and they're like, man, Egypt was so much better, because we never think clearly when the roots start forming. And God gives Moses this curious action step. He says, hey, I want you to grab this tree. Oftentimes in some versions it says a, a branch, but it, the, the Hebrew there actually, it talks about a tree. It almost has a connotation of grab it all the way up from the root. And when you grab this tree, I want you to throw it in this bitter water that is unpotable, that is undrinkable, that will bring life, that will bring death and destruction. And when you throw the tree in the water, it's gonna make the bitter waters sweet. And I thought about the beauty and the power of the gospel. And I do not want to minimize the pain some of us have experienced and the trauma some of us have experienced and the, 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 the hell on earth that we have undergone in our emotions and in our soul. But here's what I need to remind you. Just like in Exodus, what God was doing there was a type. When the wood, when the tree, when the cross gets placed in the bitter waters of your soul, he can even make the bitter waters sweet. He can work all, yeah, this is good news. He can work all things for good. He can bring transformation. Some of our stories in this room are, man, the, the very thing that we were sure was the worst thing that would ever happen to us in our entire lives is now the thing we look back and we're like, man, look at Jesus. That moment, those words, that person, that relationship, he's somehow using it to help other people. He's somehow using it for good. He's somehow using it for transformation. He's somehow using it to bring his kingdom. And if you're here this morning, I am praying, if you're watching online, that we, that you would take your wounds to the healer and your bitterness to the root. 
because you don't have to stay stuck in that place any longer. You don't have to stay captive in that prison any longer. Jesus is the healer and he wants to set you free. So here's how I think we're supposed to close. If we could all stand to our feet. We're gonna close in a time of prayer this morning. And eventually I'll ask our prayer partners to come up, but not right now. What I want us to do is, is I want us to respond. And, and I think all of this service, even beginning in worship, has been a continuum. God is not trying to break through your walls of hurt and pain and your wounds and your suffering to shame you. He's doing it to deliver you and rescue you. And I feel like God wants to meet us to bring healing and freedom and life. And so we're going to sing. And I'm asking right now, even now, God, by your spirit, you can close your eyes if it helps you focus and concentrate. God, I'm asking that you would move by your spirit and show us our hearts. Jeremiah says the heart, it's, tri it's tricky, it's sneaky, it's deceptive, and, and we'll miss it. Lord, by your spirit, bring illumination, bring clarity. Lord, any seeds of, of bitterness, any wounds that have gone unchecked and uncured, Lord, highlight them now you're here this morning and there's a wound that needs to be healed. Last week we talked about a tranquil heart bringing life to the body. This, this word in Hebrew, the, the origins of this Hebrew euphemism is uh, Rapha is the Hebrew word. It's where we get Jehovah Rapha or Yahweh Rapha, the God that heals. It's in the Hebrew language, the uh, healed heart. A tranquil heart is a healed heart. If you need healing from wounds inflicted by people, church people, religious people, family people, I feel like God wants to bring healing. If there's a person that needs to be forgiven, maybe it's someone in your life or maybe it is yourself. Often we are the ones who hold ourselves captive with the most harsh judgment. If there's a root of bitterness that needs to be repented of or torn up, if you have any of these going on this morning and you want God to heal you and set you free, as soon as we begin to sing, I wanna invite you to come forward. Like what are people gonna think? They're gonna think that you're probably just like us, jacked up with all sorts of issues and wounds and we need Jesus to put us back together. Welcome to Greenhouse. And I think the Lord wants to, he wants to do it. You're like, it's gonna be a journey. It, 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 it might, but a journey starts somewhere. And I think he wants to start that journey this morning. We're gonna sing whenever God brings someone or something to mind, I want you to come up to pray and deal with it. Maybe what's appropriate is you stand here. Maybe you kneel in a posture of surrender and, and I'll come back up and, and have our prayer partners come eventually and pray and agree with you. But Lord, right now we look to you. Lord, would you illuminate our hearts? Would you test our hearts? Lord, see if there's any anything that goes against your path of flourishing, any unforgiveness, any bitterness, any wounds that have not been healed. Lord, you want to bring your healing this morning. Lord, give us the courage to take a look in as guided by your spirit and then give us the courage to respond so that rivers of healing can flow. Let's sing.
So here's what I'd like to do. I'd love to have our prayer partners come up. And I'd love for every single person who's up there to get to receive some prayer. So prayer partners, if you could come up and, and pray with anyone that's up front here. Particularly if you've been wounded by the church or religious people, um, I would and we would love to pray with you. Sometimes we just do dumb stuff and we totally don't mean it. Sometimes we're horrible and we totally mean it. Either way, it is, it is so wrong. And I, on behalf of a pastor and a church, I am so sorry. If you're like, Greenhouse has done stuff, please come tell me and I'll, I'll repent. We want to see God's healing. Lord, I thank you for this church family. God, I thank you that you are the God who heals, that you are the God who can make bitter water sweet, that you are the God who can work all things for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would do a deep work in our hearts. Lord, that you would reveal, even as this day continues and we go home and maybe we're like, oh, man, that was a, that's a cool, interesting, weird, but good message. And, Lord, if there are any seeds in our hearts, Lord, do not leave them unexamined. Please rescue us from us. Help us. Set us free. Lord, anything you want to do this morning, we say yes. Church, I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you. That he's make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That he'd lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, shalom, perfect peace. In Jesus' name, if you'd like to stick around and pray and process, you're welcome to stay. Otherwise, you're dismissed. God bless you. We'll see you this week in your microchurches and back here at Western. Let's keep this as a place of prayer as we continue to press into what God's doing. Love you, church.